Uh, I want to introduce our guest speakers, Jim and Sharon Sup. Jim and Sharon, I've known for 11 years now. Uh, when my wife and I got married, uh, we moved down to Northern Virginia area, and we were looking for a good church to get plugged into. We were brand new married couples uh, trying to figure out life in a brand new city, a daunting city like D.C. area, and uh, we went to a church called McLean Bible Church. We showed up there, and it was this massive church. There was like, I don't know, at that time, 10,000 or more people at that church, and we, were, we walk in, we're like, this place is so huge. We love the teaching, we love the worship, but I don't know if we could ever get plugged in here. And then somebody told us, hey, you, got, you, you need to go to this place called The Union. The Union is for married couples in the first few years of their life, their married life, that is. And uh, you, should go, you should go check that place out. So we're like, okay, let's go. And we walked into the union, and Jim and Sharon Sutt were leading the union at that time. And that very quickly made McLean Bible Church home for us. We found our church home because Jim and Sharon were pastoring and shepherding all these newlywed couples and really helping us figure out how do we navigate this first few years of our life. And I know they made a huge investment on Shannon and, and myself and our relationship and how we thought about our marriage and how we thought about uh, getting ready to raise kids. And, and through uh, they, they helped walk through some very critical stages of, of people's lives. They also led young married couples with kids and all kinds of other uh, environments for marriage and family ministry. So what you have here are seasoned vets when it comes to understanding how to, how to raise children, how to, how to have a great marriage, how to... How to um, how to really instill faith in your children, and they're also very gifted in uh, in teaching and speaking. They're very passionate about this. Uh, Jim is currently the pastor of the Loudon campus at McLean Bible Church. You've been there for what eight years now, uh, doing that. And so Jim and uh, Jim was actually the guy who hired me on staff at McLean Bible Church. So he gave me the first crack at being a pastor. So. Thank you, Jim. I owe that to you. Uh, and then very quickly left me after that to take on a new, new role. But anyway, so... If we're counting, you most recently left me. So. That is true. That is true. So uh, without further ado, can you guys uh, thank Jim and Sharon for being here today? Well, we are so glad to be here today, and uh, when Nate said, hey, do you guys want to come and help us out with this, um, wow, it was such a blessing to be able to say yes and to come, and um, it's been awesome knowing the Keelers all these years, and uh, we've had a, a very close friendship. Are we okay? Are you going to, you're fiddling, or is that? If you could slide them up. Okay. That. Sorry, I don't do this on a weekly basis like he does. Sorry, guys. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of intro while she's fiddling over there, and then uh, just so you know where we're going to go. Um, yeah, I've been on staff at McLean Bible Church for almost 20 years. Uh, we've been married for almost 18. Uh, prior to coming on staff at the church, I worked in psychiatric health care for 10 years. So I, after seminary, I went and I worked in an inpatient psychiatric program and helped get a inpatient children's program off the ground. And you know, if anybody's going to hospitalize their child, uh, we're not talking teenagers here, we're talking about children, you know it's a very severe situation. So honestly, I've been working kind of in parenting environments 
uh, for close to 30 years now, uh, first in that in- incredibly, incredibly difficult environment with behaviorally disordered, emotionally disturbed children. Then I transitioned to an adolescent unit and so forth, and then on into the church. Uh, so it's been a long journey. I, I was doing parenting, if you will, long before I was one, uh, from a very intensive, in that very kind of intensive environment. So um, let Sharon introduce our family. As Jim said, we've been married almost 18 years. Um, so our entire marriage has been spent in full-time vocational ministry. So we've had the, the privilege and perhaps challenge of kind of working it all out in a public forum, um, which has actually, I think, been good. The Lord has done a lot in our life. Um, we uh, initially we struggled with infertility and were unable to conceive for a couple of years and had some significant challenges there, which when you're in young couples ministry who take the commands to multiply very seriously was um, a really tough time for, for us. Um, but the Lord has seen fit to bless us with two amazing, awesome, healthy, beautiful, gregarious children. So we have one daughter, Natalie, um, who is 13. She'll turn 14 in March. Um, She is now 5'10", and a competitive um, volleyball player, lives, breathes uh, the volleyball, so she now is able to look Jim in the eye, and I am, oh, I don't know, five inches shorter than her now, so um, she is a piece of work. She is very independent, very opinionated, uh, typical firstborn, very responsible, um, very driven, uh, just a real awesome girl. And then we have one son, Adam who will turn 12 next month. And Adam um, has had a pastor's heart since he was born. He is the most kind, compassionate, gentle, uh, concerned citizen. Um, He also is hilariously funny, um, has an amazing sense of humor. Um, So I've been blessed with two very awesome kids, but we have had our challenges in parenting. And as we received the material from Christy, so just some questions which Jim's going to overview for you about things that they would like us to talk about, um, we were really able to look back and see um, the things that God has shown us just through experience and through books and others' ministry to us uh, over the years. So Adam and Natalie, those are our two kids. All right, so uh, just to kind of get a lay of the land about who we have, right? So we have kind of broken out our first, there's four questions, and we'll get to those in just a second, but the first question really is kind of walking through kind of all the seasons of parenting. So how many people here have a child birth through toddler, kind of those first few years? Okay. Then how many people, it's like preschool and elementary? Okay, there's got a bulk there. Okay, and then kind of into the teen years, so middle school and high school. Okay, so it's really a pretty, pretty broad cross-section. Okay, so these, these are the four questions that we were asked to answer. Okay, let me just review those, and then we'll kind of walk through... And we'll, uh, we're supposed to be done here at 10.30, right? Is that right? Okay, we're going to do our best. We've never been accused of speaking too short. All right, there we go. Um, so the first question is, what are some ways to instill a solid faith in Christ into, into your kids' ages birth through 18? So the whole thing, what do you do in these different seasons to kind of instill this faith? And we're going to walk through those four different age groupings Okay, to kind of get the, the, the picture. I can tell that someone in, in education put these questions together. <laughs> so I'm like, we're going to take your master's level program and put it into this one question. All right, there we go. So the second question was, what should I do if my child is questioning his or her faith? Which is a great question. The third question is, how do you lovingly guide children in a balanced way? You know, not too rule-driven, not too hands-off. And so we're going to give you some tips on that. 
And then last but not least, how do you instill a Christian worldview in your children in a world that is not Christ-centered? So we're going to talk about some worldview stuff, because I have a lot of passion about that. So our first question for today, and Sharon's going to kick this off for us, kind of starting with that birth to toddler time period, is what are some ways to instill a solid faith in Christ into your kids in these different seasons? And again, you have a packet, so, and I know many of you are like, don't skip that blank. Don't let me walk out of here without a blank that's not filled in. I know how you are, because I'm like that. So uh, we'll try to do our best to make sure all of your blanks are filled in so you feel at peace with all that as we go. So. And if we do miss a blank, please just raise your hand and, and call us out on it um, so that we can go back and fill that in for you. Um, so our first point here is, is talking about the early stage from birth to toddler, um, which obviously there are several of you in the room who are still in that stage or will soon be in that stage. Um, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this point because this of, of, the, of the four stages is really kind of the most innate for us as parents and as, and as caregivers. Um, but our first point here is, what, how do you handle a birth to toddler in terms of starting to develop that lifelong faith that sticks? And that is, this is your opportunity to be Jesus to them. You are literally being Jesus with skin on to your children and creating an environment, a family, in which the reality of Jesus is experienced, not intellectually understood. Right, all of us who have been through that stage, or or cared for nieces or nephews or babysat as children, whatever the case may be, you know that these 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 children, all that they know about life, these infants, these babies, these toddlers, is what they experience. They're not really yet intellectual beings that can understand um, some much more complicated principles in life. So you want to be Jesus with skin on. Uh, being the reality that Jesus is experienced, that's your first blank, and then intellect, not intellectually understood. And the primary way that you do this is through your physical touch. Many of you have read the Gary Chapman books um, with the five love languages. This is really a stage of life where physical touch is how you can communicate God's love to them and their acceptance. As his ambassador, you are Jesus with skin on to them. And you know the scriptures, you know, Matthew 20, 34, that we put in your handout, where moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. But we all know that Jesus didn't have to touch people to heal them. Mm-hmm. He could heal them from afar, but he chose to touch them because that's what the people needed to actually fully experience the love of Christ. You've heard of the studies. Um, for those of you who may have adopted children or know of people who have adopted children, that when, when young babies and toddlers are left in cribs in orphanage and, orphanages in third world countries for prolonged periods of time, perhaps they're never held or only held briefly for a diaper change or uh, the feeding of a bottle, these children develop serious emotional disorders, um, specifically attachment disorder. We have a, a friend who adopted three children um, from China. Fortunately, only one of them has the disorder, but attachment disorder where she struggles in all of life to build relationships, to interact, to connect with people because she spent the first years of her life in a crib, uh, in an orphanage. So then the, the, the next section there says, the meeting of basic needs such as food, water, shelter, safety, and such demonstrates God's character of being the great provider who meets all of our needs. So you, as you as a parent, one of your primary goals with the, in this age group is meeting the basic needs in a way that kind of reflects... The, re- the reality of God as our great provider. 
Philippians 4 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And that's who we are to be to them. And uh, it's really, again, back to the experiential. That's what this is about. And the next blank is unconditional love. And all of you in this room are parents, perhaps even in grandparents. Your primary responsibility at this stage, and, and always, is to communicate unconditional love. We are, we are helping our children understand who God is. And as followers of Christ, we have received God's unconditional love. And we need to communicate that to our children. And so communicating the unconditional love is expressed regardless of their disposition, mm-hmm. right? We've all had the cranky kids. We've had the tired kids. We've had the hungry kids. We've had the hurt kids who are upset and need to be consoled. And we communicate God's unconditional love. And that's the last blank is the unconditional love of God, um, regardless of their disposition, Okay, that's, again, we're going to move really quickly through this. So the next phase, then, is toddler to preschool. So in the first phase, you are Jesus with skin on, right? You, you are to be Jesus. In the toddler to preschool phase, we are to tell of Jesus. So here's where everything, your, your focus in this is, is talking about who Jesus is. Your sole source of data about God, and you are their sole source, if you will, of data about God at this point. Now, they're going to go to church. They're going to get some of that, but, but from a overarching reality, you are their source as you talk about him and as, as they experience him. So that first blank is, tell of him as creator. Tell of him as creator. And this comes from, you know, hey, look at the butterfly, look at the sky, uh, look at our bodies, look how creative God was, and link their creativity to God's creativity. This is the drawing phase. This is coloring. This is all of that. So they're creative. You are pointing back to God as creator. So this is really the stage. Um, how I see this is, is that you are, are communicating to your children. You are teaching your children. You're illustrating for your children that God is the source behind everything that they see in the created world. And this is the kind of stuff that really sticks with them. Because, you know, in today's day and age, we're very, in, you know, instant gratification. All I know is what I see. But God is behind everything that they experience. Um, an illustration from when our kids were really little is um, a friend of ours years ago in Frontline um, who lived out in Colorado. His wife passed away of cancer at a very young age. I think she was 32. Um, they had two or three young children. And he was a songwriter and a musician. And he wrote the most beautiful song about how mommy painted the sky. Um, and so we really kind of, at that point, I think our Natalie perhaps was born. I'm not even sure we had Adam at that point. We really kind of adopted that as one of those simple ways that we could communicate to our children that God is there. You may not see him, but he is behind everything. And so from the very beginning, we had communicated to our children, when you see those beautiful sunsets, um, we live um, at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Northern Virginia. We get some amazing sunsets. Our house faces west. And when we look out and we see those incredible colors, the purples, the oranges, the reds, I mean, it just takes your breath away. We go, look, God painted the sky. And to this day, I mean, now we have teenager, preteen. They say, oh, wow, look, God painted the sky today. Very simple, but it's a way that it's something that they've owned and embraced that they're able to see. God's behind everything in the created world. Okay, so after tell, tell of him as creator, uh, the next one is tell of him as provider. Point to the provision of God in day-to-day, uh, the day-to-day needs of our children. 
you know, the, Ma- the Bible tells us in Matthew that we shouldn't worry about our life, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. You know, the, the, the pagans f- race after all these things. But look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry about any of that. And, you know, we live in a world, uh, one of the challenges that I have as a parent is that uh, I don't want my children to understand uh, that I don't want them to believe that everybody lives in a, in a suburban safe cul-de-sac like we do, right? And to get them outside of that reality and that all that we have is provided for by God. We can't wait. Honestly, we, we can't wait till our kids are just a little bit older. Natalie's there. Adam's almost there so that we can go on a mission trip together and we can take them into the third world and we can help them to see and get, get, kind of get some clarification about what the world is really like and to never take for granted the fact that we always have enough food on our table. We always have enough clothes on our back. You know, and how did that get there? You know, God is our provider. One of the things that we do, and I really, really want to encourage you from early on, from this kind of toddler, uh, pre- I'm sorry, preschool time frame, to really develop some practices that are your own, that point to these things. God is creator, God is provider. One of the things that we do is every Christmas, uh, before we let, kind of let the kids kind of tear into to presents, is we've, we're on the mailing list of World Vision. And you can be on the mailing list of World Vision or Compassion International or any of because many of them do the same kind of thing. And what we receive, and we just got the catalog in the mail uh, this past week, is there's a catalog that you can choose from a variety of different opportunities to purchase things for families in the third world. So you can, for $99, you can purchase uh, a goat. Or you can, you know, you, you can, for like $500, you can purchase kind of like a small farm you know, with a, a goat and a duck and something that's going to lay eggs and this and that and the other thing. And every year, we sit down and we kind of set an amount. This is kind of what our target is. And the kids get to choose what it is that we're going to give to a family in the third world to help understand this idea of provision. God has provided for us abundantly. We're going to help provide for other people. And they love this. It is so easy. It is so inexpensive in the grand scheme of things. And yet the, the, the gain on your investment in having them participate in the idea that God provides, God provides for us, he uses us to provide for others, is, it's powerful. Begin those habits when your kids are young. And if you kind of have older kids and you're like, wow, we don't do anything like that, it's never too late. It's never too late to get your kids involved in this whole dynamic of seeing God as creator, provider, and all of these kind of things. Uh, The next blank is to tell of him as protector. And this is an opportunity to really expand your children's understanding that they are safe in the hand of the Almighty God. And you know, the Psalms are full of Psalm after Psalm of just God's protection and God's provision. And we put one of those in your outline, Psalm 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. And, you know, I feel like in, the, in these preschool years is when children, that's really when they start to develop fears and anxieties. Um, their imaginations are really coming to life. They're starting to be exposed perhaps to more television, more movies, more books, other children at preschool um, who are kind of just getting their minds going. Um, and so this is really an opportunity to allay their fears uh, with pointing to God as the protector. Um, thunderstorms. Right? You know, as a parent, as an adult, that you are safe when you're in your home from the th- 
generally speaking, from the thunder, from the lightning, from the torrential rains and the winds. So that's a great opportunity to, to share. You know, God's there, and he is going to protect us. And then they get to experience that protection when, sure enough, the storm passes, and they're fine. Another way um, that you can tell of God as protector is to share stories from your own life. Um, the kids are starting. They're intellectual beings now. They're, they're starting to pay attention. Um, and you have an opportunity. You all have a story. You have a testimony. You have times in your life, whether it was sickness um, or car accidents or num- numerous situations where you felt in danger and you saw God protect you. One of the big things for us, a, a story in our family, is that when we were eight months pregnant with Natalie, we had taken a weekend away. Um, we had gone down to Williamsburg. It was kind of our last hurrah um, before our first child was born. And we were on our way home, coming up 95, which you all know is perhaps the most treacherous road in the world. Um, And we were coming up 95 and just minding our own business, in the middle lane, cruise control, no big deal. And there was an empty flatbed truck in front of us. Long story short, it was the most catastrophic accident right there in front of us that was about to happen. The flatbed the guy had to slam on his brakes. His flatbed started whipping through the lanes. There were, there were cars everywhere. And we just, you know, cried out to God. And literally, it was as if invisible angels, like, just quickly just separated everything and nothing actually hit each other. Mm. And I was very large, eight months, 50 pounds, right out here. And, I mean, if we would have had any kind of impact, I'm certain that Natalie would have lost her life, if not me. So, you know, as our kids got older and they were afraid, we, we started using this as an illustration in our family. Well, lo and behold, Natalie and I were on the way to a physical therapy appointment maybe three weeks ago, coming down Route 7, and there's con- you know, always construction and dump trucks and everything. There's no shoulder. There's the, the cement walls are there, and we were almost in another catastrophic accident. And once again, it was as if, like, things just stop and move in a way that nobody actually touch- touches each other. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I, I mean, I mean, adrenaline rush, terrified. And Natalie looks at me and she goes, Mom, the angels just protected us. You know, and so she's starting to see. And her first response was, God protected us. He sent his angels and here we are and we're safe and sound. So you cannot ever minimize the impact that your personal testimonies are going to have on your kids and how they will own that. You're imprinting them with those opportunities to acknowledge God in everything. You know, as we walk through these, you'll recognize very clearly that there's a lot of overlap. So we've been talking about telling of Jesus. The next phase is the preschool through elementary phase, which is where we encourage you to point to Jesus. So in the preschool, I'm sorry, in the toddler, you're, you're telling of Jesus. Now you're pointing to Jesus. And that's, that's really the, the story that Sharon uh, illustrated really kind of moves us in that direction. I want to tell another quick story. A couple, Several years ago, I want to say um, Natalie was probably about eight. She's 13 now. We were doing baptisms on the Potomac River uh, when a storm kicked up that literally was, uh, it was unbelievable. There were 80 mile an hour winds this storm was that day. There were trees falling, trees falling into the water and uh, the terror on Natalie's face as we were trying to get out of the woods as trees were falling in every which direction, literally uh, at, at great risk of our lives, we have had to continue to point her to God's safety. And the fact that she was able to recognize safety in that situation 
is a clear, brings us to reality for us that she has, through all of this, in spite of that great difficulty back in, you know, all those years ago, that she has seen in her own journey the development of God as the protector. So the next one is preschool through elementary, point to Jesus. Every parenting moment in this stage is an opportunity to point your child to Jesus as you seek to shape and influence their hearts and character toward Christ-likeness. This is where you begin to proactively create an understanding of a worldview for those who follow Jesus contrasted with the world of those who don't believe in Jesus. So we are now trying to point, thing, point our children to Jesus and we want to give you several mechanisms that we believe you can use effectively to point to Jesus ongoing through this elementary stage in particular. The first one is that this is where your children are more able than ever to really begin to memorize scripture. You want them to memorize this. They are good at memory at this point. I don't know if you've ever played memory match, you know, with a kid in this, and they they kill you every time, every single time, right? Because they can remember stuff that that our brains just kind of are struggling to remember now. Uh, And so, memorize, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we hide God's word in our heart over and over and over again, and that points to Jesus. And another way that we point to Jesus is as followers of Christ who perhaps have walked the journey for many years now is for you as a parent is to quote scripture to them. Okay, you're pointing to Jesus by using his own word. Hebrews 4.12 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's another verse, Isaiah 55, I think, that says, you know, God's word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. So you can never go wrong by quoting scripture. Um, The next point is applying scripture. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say in this particular situation? James 1.22 tells us, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So taking these three points together, memorizing scripture, quoting scripture, and applying scripture, we would really encourage you as a family to pick two or three verses that you are able to apply in your family dynamic on a routine basis. Now, any of you has more than one child, you perhaps have experienced some sibling rivalry. Maybe, maybe not. Um, our children are amazing and awesome, but they are very competitive with all of the world and each other. Um, and, you know, as kids who are not relationally mature, one of the big things is just how they speak to each other. So I wanted to just quickly give you some of the verses that our family has adopted. And we, our kids, know these verses And they look at us and they're like, I know, like when we start to quote them. And the first is Proverbs 12, 18. And this verse says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, mind you, this isn't just quoting this to them and then moving on. This is quoting this and then applying it and breaking it down for them in this particular situation. Okay, Adam, you said this to Natalie. You need to understand that when you say those unkind words, that is like a sword stabbing Natalie in the heart. Did you ever consider if you had said this instead, 
that perhaps you would have spoke, spoken a word that would bring healing in her life. So you're helping them, right? You're bringing the Bible to life. You're making it real. You're making it applicable, right? You want it to be relevant, not just something that we preach at them. So memorize it, quote it, apply it. Um, Another verse that we use all the time is Philippians 2.14. Do everything without arguing or complaining. Anybody need that verse in their house? (laughs) Anybody get the, hey, Adam, go get the trash can. Oh, do I have to? You know, Go feed the dog. Like he doesn't have to do it every day of his life. Um, So do everything without arguing or complaining. You don't have to like it, but you're training them to hold their tongue. Right? Because someday they're going to have a friend who doesn't say the right thing, or a boss that doesn't say the right thing, or a partner, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend who doesn't say the right thing, and they're going to, you know, you want to train them that sometimes you just need to hold your tongue and do everything without arguing or complaining. And the last one that we've adopted is Proverbs 18.21, and this kind of ties into the first one, is the tongue has the power of life and death. I mean, our children need to understand that once words are spoken, you can never take them back. Yes, you can ask for forgiveness, and you may be granted forgiveness, but you cannot take those words back. So they have the power of life and death. So let me, I want to interject here because um, in my journey as a pastor and prior to that as a therapist, uh, working with people, I have been, I'm not anymore. Uh, I think I'm a little, probably a little jaded now, but after 20 years. But I, I, for the longest while, I was actually shocked at what comes out of Christians' mouths in marriage when they're having a conflict, right? I'd have a couple in my office, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second. You, you said what? What did you say? To Wait, wait, wait. We, we can't even move forward with solving the underlying problems in your marriage until we can just symptomatically address the fact that we can never speak this way to one another in our marriages. What... Where's, where, that's not even, that is so far from walking in the spirit. I, I don't even know where to begin. So challenge number one for you here today is to ensure that when you're in conflict, that when you are having issues in your marriage, that you speak, that you, you have to be applying these things too, right? First and foremost there. So that's number one. Number two, and this is kind of an assignment. If you did nothing as a result of this session, other than go home and over the next 30 days, read the book of Proverbs and then go, oh, there's a good one. Oh, there's a good one. And, and just say, okay, I, we can use that one. Write that on your must-have list. You know, oh, there's another one. Proverbs is, they are principles for life. They're not promises. They're principles that if we live by them, we will find favor in life, right? That's what the Proverbs are. The, this is a good rule of thumb on how to live, right? So if you did nothing but take five, six, eight proverbs and write them down and and adopt them and apply them in those moments of when your kids are doing whatever they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. Um, Adam, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Did you respond to Natalie in a way that was a gentle answer versus a harsh, did you stir things up or did you help settle things down? Answer the question. It's a no-brainer. It is the easiest way to bring greater alignment with Christ in your home than having scriptures in the Proverbs to apply in those moments. But you know what most parents do? They get frustrated. They want the behavior to simply stop. They squash the behavior. They've eliminated it for the moment. They haven't solved anything. They haven't instructed into the future. 
They just want it to be done. And it takes, but the amount of work that it takes to just go a little bit further and the investment to actually adjust behavior and understanding, the amount of work that it takes isn't that much more than just squashing behavior. And now you have set yourself up for growth into the future. And I have to tell you, we are at a season now with our children. Well, we always, we always love our kids, right? We always love them, right? We're commanded to anyway, but um, we love them. But we don't always like them, right? Okay, don't judge me. You know that you don't always like your kids either, all right? We're in a season with our children now where we love them and we like them. We're having so much fun with them right now. Because the fruit of this, what we're talking about right now, is starting to come to, to full fruition, right? Our children, it's so wonderful to see that when they get into it at nighttime before bed, and that they, they, will, they refuse to go to bed unreconciled now. They never go to bed mad with each other. Because one of them will not allow it to happen. Well, they'll go and ask for forgiveness, or they'll make sure that this gets resolved. Our children never simply say, I'm sorry. They always ask for forgiveness because we started when they were in the toddler phase doing that. And, you know, it is such a... We still have issues, right? We all do. They're teenagers. But, but we're starting to see the investment of these points right here. Memorizing, quoting, and applying scripture in the day-to-day moment when push comes to shove and there's a myriad of scriptures, you choose yours. Know what, what do your kids do? You find the scripture that relates directly to what you don't want to have happen anymore. And you bring that to bear in the day-to-day. And, and real quickly, huge. if I can just add just some little practical ways that we've made scripture just really part of our home and our family dynamic is uh, we you know, copy-paste the verse, put it in a really big fancy font, bold print, so it takes up a, you know eight and a half by 11 paper, print it out, and put it somewhere. Put it on the refrigerator. Put it on the pantry door. Um, we have a little cork board by our dining room table up on the wall. Put it there. So it's something that can be easily referenced, and the more and more you look at it, apply it, talk about it, it'll be memorized. And another thing that Jim has done, um, he's just great at discipline this way, is he's print, he'll print the verses out in a normal, you know, and successively as we're memorizing them, and he'll give them to the kids to review, like in the morning before they go to school or at bedtime, and he'll review them with them. Just helping them so that, you know, I've hidden your word in your heart that I might not sin against thee. It's the, it's the principle, you know, that they, you want to make the scripture available. And if you see it, the more you talk about it. That's um, what we've done. And now they know it. All right. We're going to move to the last phase of this first question, kind of the birth through 18, which is middle school through high school. Uh, so we said, be Jesus, tell of Jesus, point to Jesus. And now this phase is more than ever before. Now, you're doing this all along. Understand, again, there's overlap all the way through. But this is the phase more than any other phase where you have got to, as a parent, live like Jesus. That's your blank. Live like Jesus. Live authentically. You can't get away with just talking the talk. You have to literally walk the walk. You have to say what you mean, and you have to mean what you say. And there are four primary opportunities that you have on a daily basis to live like Jesus and model authentic behavior. And the first one is own your stuff. Own your stuff. Now you again, I hope that you're owning your stuff all along. I hope, moms and dads, that when your toddler, when you blow it with your toddler or preschooler, that you get down on your knee and you ask, you know, you forgive mommy or, you know, you forgive daddy for the, you know, because if you can't ask for forgiveness, 
You are not training them to be able to ask for forgiveness. And it's humbling. It's hard. I don't like asking my children for forgiveness. I really don't. I'm like, ugh. You know, I, 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 you, know you kind of want to have, kind of be above all that. Um, as a therapist, one of the most frustrating things in the lives of people that I've worked with as adults is this statement. My dad never admitted he was wrong. My mom never owned that she was wrong. The best thing that you can do for your teenagers is own that you are wrong. You think that it's going to undermine your authority. You think that it shows weakness. That's what it feels like is happening. And it's the opposite. Your credibility goes through the roof when you own your stuff. And you know what? In 13 years of parenting, and when I've asked my child for forgiveness, not a single solitary time have they said no. (laughs) Not once. Every single time in the what feels like hundreds of times that I've had to ask for forgiveness, they're like, sure, Dad. And, you know, I get that big hug. And it's this moment where they just go, okay, my dad's real. And it's all good. So be authentic. Own your stuff. So James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. And that's really the underlying principle that's at work here is owning your stuff. Um, And I had the opportunity to do this just last week with my daughter, um, who plays competitive volleyball. So her schedule now overrides mine, and she doesn't get home until 9.30, two days a week. Well, I'm ready for bed at 9.30. And she comes home, and she needs to still take her shower and kind of get herself into bed. So we're talking 10.15, maybe 10.30. Okay, that's entirely too late for me. She also has the gift of being a professional staller. This girl can stall more than any person on the planet. And I'm like, how long does it take you to walk in the door, put down your bag, take a shower, put your pajamas on, brush your teeth, go to bed? 15 minutes, right? No. 45 minutes later. So, you know, and then she gets in bed and she's like, oh, mom, I forgot, you know, you need to, she has some injuries, so we have to rub stuff on it. Mom, can you rub that stuff on my leg? And, oh, I forgot this. And I'm going, are you kidding me? So I'm tired, I'm cranky, and it was not an ideal parenting moment. So just so you know, we're human and we are not the perfect parents. Um, I was not as kind as I should have been in confronting her on her stalling. And so I went out to get the stuff to rub her leg and come back, and she's all huffed up in her bed with the covers over and rolled over with her back to me. I mean, completely like, she's like, I'm rejecting you. You are mean, I'm rejecting you. So I had to humble myself because I might be right in my point that she is not doing what she needs to do in a timely manner. Okay, But there's a proper way as a parent to communicate that with gentleness and respect. And I failed. And so I had to own my stuff. And then you can see her kind of melting. Okay, all right. And she faces me, and then she'll put her leg out so I can rub it. And it just diffused the situation, right? So again, as parents, I mean, there's countless times in a day, you're right. What you are trying to parent is the right issue, but maybe not in the right way. So this is really something that we would just encourage you to consider. Am I owning my Is this something I need to own? Um, I had to own my stuff and eat some humble pie. All right, so the next one, oh, actually this. Oh, is that, that me? Next one is model wholesome speech. Yeah, that's supposed to be it. Okay. One of my first verses that I memorized as a new believer, um, coming from a family of um, a former Navy guy and two alcoholic parents uh, who spent a lot of time in bars, the profanity was, I, I just grew up with it. So I had adopted it. 
because I was desensitized. It just, that's the way we spoke. I mean, you, there were just certain words in the English language that were part of every sentence, and I never thought about it. Well, uh, as a you know, young 20-something um, in grad school, I met Christ, praise Jesus, because um, I probably wouldn't be here today if I hadn't. But one of the first things I had to do was I had to get my speech under control. I had to. If I was going to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, I could not speak the way I was speaking. So one of the first um, scriptures I memorized was Ephesians 4.29. And my kids know this because they, they, don't, they do not curse, praise the Lord. But if they say a rude word or an offensive word or an unkind word, I'll say, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then, again, not just quoting that scripture to them in a preachy way, but unpacking that for them. Okay, so you're speaking, but there's others who are watching. And you identify with Jesus. So you are maybe the only Bible that your friends at school ever read. So if you're saying that, that's a reflection on Jesus Christ. So model wholesome speech. So... Let me give, give you another illustration about this. Now, you're thinking, hey, I'm fine. I, I know I have good speech. I don't use bad language. Da, 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 da. I never speak unkindly to my spouse. Okay, well, let me give you a different, different picture of this. So I'm driving along the road, and uh, I got kids in the back, right, because they're not allowed in the front until a certain age. So this is, they're still small. Now they both can sit in the front seat, but they're, they're, they're in the back. Uh, and I think actually in a booster seat at the time. And I, you know, I'm driving, and someone pulls out in front of me. And from the back seat, I hear... Oh, come on! Like that. And I'm like, where did they hear that? Where did they hear that? They heard that from me. Not in that moment. And I'm thinking, you know, how I handle myself in traffic, how I speak about my boss at home. All right, think about that one for a second. How I model submission to authority in my own life. How I speak about the president, an office that I revere, whether I like the guy in it or not. You need to understand that how we, how we model speech has a lot more to do whether, with whether or not I use bad language or ever get in a shouting match with my spouse. It is far beyond that in terms of do, when someone pulls out in front of me in traffic, rather than assuming they did that to irritate me and throw off my entire feng shui for the day or whatever, right, that I give them grace. I give them grace. Hey, buddy, that's okay. Come on in, no problem. And they can't hear me, but my kid can hear me. My kid can hear me give that driver grace when I speak words that are healthy and wholesome in light of whatever situation I'm in that reflects Christ. Which leads to kind of the, sec- to the next one, which is handle your anger biblically. Handle your anger biblically. Do, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger you know, Sharon and I never, we, we, we have issues, right? I mean, we have conflict. We have things that we need to work out, this and that. Uh, we never speak to each other in a way that is improper, certainly not in front of the kids. It wasn't that long ago. And, and I have to tell you, we've been under a lot of stress over the last couple of years. We've had a lot of really difficult things occur. That's for a different conversation. Um, but we are just, have just been in a season of like high-strung tension with a lot of different things. And I came home, and there was something that I was frustrated about, and I kind of snapped at her, and then she snapped back at me, and we went into, um, we were getting the kids, it was time for bed, and we went into Natalie's room, and she was sobbing. She was sobbing. And she's like, we're like, what's going on? Well, she had heard that interchange between the two of us, 
that was like, like that, we're fine. We worked it out pretty quickly uh, with apologies and all that. Um, But it was so powerful because she had never heard that before. She never heard us snap at each other like that. And it raised a level of anxiety. She has a lot of friends that are divorced, with divorced parents, a lot, you know. And of course, she goes to, oh my gosh, my parents just had this incident. And her mind goes in all sorts of directions about what that means, right? And when we don't model biblical handling of our anger, it sends a shockwave of anxiety through our children that we do not understand. And you, your children must, must experience for their own modeling of how to handle it themselves that you handle <coughs> anger well, but also for their own security that you handle anger well. And I just want to add on that is, you know, Natalie has never really had an anger issue at all. And then Adam, I mean, as amazing and quiet and compassionate as he is, he... I wouldn't say he has an anger problem, but he is definitely more likely to kind of lose self-control. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is important as a parent is if you have a child that struggles with anger, it's very important that you validate for them, it's okay to be angry. You do not want to raise a child who feels that they can't experience emotion. And anger is an emotion, and it's a valid emotion. What's important is how they handle it. And so that's one of the things we've had to really coin with our son, Adam. Adam, it is okay to be angry. But what you do with that anger, how you handle that anger, and how you treat others when you're angry, that's what matters. So let's look at this situation and talk about how could you handle your anger biblically. Because anger is a valid emotion. So validate, but help them apply scripture. Well, how can I be angry and not sin? Not sin against God and not sin against the people in my life that I love. Okay, so the last point under um, kind of middle school through high school is model a dynamic relationship with Christ. So you are wanting to model your walk through your walk with Jesus. And there are five quick points, and we need to keep moving here because we are, we're going to run out of time. Model a dynamic relationship with Christ five ways. The first one is pray without ceasing. What is your prayer life like? How do you pray? Uh, And again, remember, prayer is not just grace at dinner. You're taking a myriad of opportunities to pray, whether it's... I I never let my children walk out into their day without prayer. I never let them go to school without prayer. Praying over them, praying for them, pray that they would have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Pray that God would protect them from whatever's going on at school that they shouldn't be involved in. Pray that, that God would make them dangerous for Christ in their world out there. And we do these every every morning. They do not go out. And, and it's come to the point now, at, at bedtime, I pray over my children at bedtime. And... Uh, if I, go to, if I say goodnight to Natalie and I go to walk away, and sometimes I actually test this. It's a little manipulative, but anyway. So I, and then I, I just start to walk away, and she goes, you are not leaving here without praying over me, are you? I mean, you, you're not going to not pray over me. Because prayer has just become what we do. It's part of everything. If, if prayer is the breath, the spiritual breath of the believer, then you must model prayer at, all, at, at every turn. At every turn. Another... Um, example that I had with Natalie this past week. I think Jim was out late one night uh, working or something, and so I tucked her in and uh, you know said good night and I love you. And we have to this routine. We have to do hug, kiss, good night, I love you. You know, um, and then I prayed for her. And I you know I start to walk out and I and I shut the door. 
And I start to walk down the hall, and I hear this sweet little voice go, Mommy, can I pray for your neck and your back? Um, just so sweet. Like, I have had a lot of health issues over the last couple of years, but most specifically last couple of months, just severe pain in my neck and back. And she started laying hands on it every night and praying. Like, she, she's like, can I touch your neck? I want to I touch your neck and pray for it. Well, I just kind of rushed out. She's like, Mommy. So, you know, but you want her, you want him, you want your children to know you can pray about everything. And you can pray about anything. And you want to encourage that prayerful relationship with God without ceasing that this is what we do. The next one is regular time with God. And the question here for you to answer is, what is your personal devotional like with Jesus? And how do you live that out in front of your children? If your children don't ever see you having time with God, that is a problem, especially when they hit the teenage years. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in college, one of my best friends was, in, was a commuter. He lived off campus, and we would often go to his house for the weekend or whatever. And uh, I remember waking up early, early in the morning and peering down the hallway, and there was his mom. And his parents had a very, very difficult marriage. His mom loved the Lord, and his dad didn't. And uh, I, remember, I remember I was able to lay in bed and look down the hallway, and the bedroom door was cracked, and there was Dottie Van Dunk sitting in her chair at the edge of her bed with her Bible open and a light shining, just, just this kind of small little area with her and, the, her and the Word, really early in the morning. And I just, it's, it's it imprinted on me. I didn't have that growing up. My parents didn't know Christ uh, until later. And to see this godly woman every morning just in, just in prayer. And you know, at this point, I know if, if, if you ask my children where I am every morning at 6 a.m., they would be able to tell you that I'm in my office reading God's Word, I'm in prayer, often on my knees, and your children need to know that, and they need to see that. They need to know that when you are in your time with God, it is uninterruptible unless there's blood, right? Uh, And that that is because you are pursuing Jesus in a powerful way. And the next point is serve. Serve the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And we decided early on in our marriage that when we had children, they were going to know what it meant to serve the Lord, the Lord with joy and thanksgiving. We weren't just going to talk about it. We were actually going to do it. So when our kids were toddler and preschool, um, Jim, Jim is off on Fridays. He would take the kids to the grocery store. They would go buy a variety of non-perishable food items. And we had a walk-in homeless shelter in Leesburg where the homeless people could come during the day to use computers to look for jobs, get a meal, and a shower. And he would take the kids, and they would sit, and they would just stack the shelves. Very simple, very little effort, very little cost. As our children got older, um, a new emergency homeless shelter, very, very nice, opened in Leesburg. And, you know, we live in such a wealthy area. Loudoun County, I think, is the richest county in the nation and the fastest growing. And you don't really think that we have a homeless problem, but we have a lot of homeless people for a variety of reasons. Some are chronically homeless, others situationally so. But years ago, we signed up and started serving a meal at the homeless shelter once a month, first Wednesday of the month, every month without fail. And we did that consistently for two and a half years until some of our crazy stressful circumstances kind of took us out of that. But it was just something that our kids knew, they loved, they would help me shop, they would help me prepare the meal, we would take it, we would serve the families the meal, and then we sit and talk with them. And our children just 
learned to reach out to these young homeless kids who are struggling. They're embarrassed to be in a shelter. Adam, I think he was, I guess, five or six, really into the Disney cars at the time. You know, he had an extra sheriff, and there was a little boy at the homeless shelter named Brandon, and he was like, I want to give Brandon my sheriff, which was a big deal. Even if it was an extra one, you just don't give away Disney cars. And it just helped them kind of develop like a compassion and a a heart and a a tender heart of mercy for these people. So that's something that we um, did consistently over the years. And now as our children have gotten older and they can tolerate being at church for more than one service without melting down or losing their mind, um, they're both in the middle school youth group at church. So they... They don't do this every Sunday, scheduling sports, et cetera, but they'll go to their youth group, and then during the second service, they'll serve in preschool. They're 11, and they're 13. They're young, but they can work with little kids. They can teach a simple Bible story. And so there's lots of, you know, find what works for your family, but there are practical ways where you just, you want to make it kind of part of your family's DNA, right? We don't want to foster that self-centeredness, which is just prevalent in our culture today. If you want a faith that sticks, you want to help them own it for themselves and just make it something that you do together as a family. All right, the next one is uh, share your faith in Christ with others. Now, this is a little... I'm going to start going from what our senior pastor says from going from preaching to meddling, okay? Um, Because this is a tough one, especially if you don't have the gift of evangelism, then chances are really good you shy away from sharing your faith. And the reality is that how you share your faith... Is, is modeling sharing of your faith for your kids. And I love the fact that you kind of put your youth group kids in a position to train them and then really mobilize them to do that. Because teenagers especially, that, that's a hard thing. And, and what you model is really, really critical. I don't consider myself to having the gift of evangelism. My wife and my kids disagree. But I just feel like God puts me in places and I share my faith. I'm standing on the sideline of my son's football game the other day and uh, the trainer that was there, we start talking. Lo and behold, he's a 25-year-old atheist. And we get into this huge conversation and, and our relationship kind of moves into the future. And we start talking about how we are sharing our faith. So in what contexts are you engaged in faith conversations with other people? And let me give you the one question, the one question that you need in your back pocket to talk to anyone, to open up a conversation with anyone about spiritual things. You ready? This is it. What is your faith background? How did you grow up spiritually? That's all you need to open up a door. I have never, ever, ever, ever had anyone who I've asked that question to get angry or resistant to answering. Every single person that I've ever asked that question of has answered it willingly and gladly. Who doesn't want to talk about themselves? And they're not embarrassed about their faith background. It's theirs. How did you grow up? What is your spiritual background? And then doors open up. It is the easy, it is so simple really to have spiritual conversations with people. We perceive that it is way harder than it actually is. So we're going to just move on quickly here to the last point so we can get to the next question because as we expected, we're going long. And that is to submit to the authorities in your own life. Your children are watching everything that you do. And if you're being called to live like Jesus in this stage of of their life, you need to model submission to the authorities in your life, which is your boss, perhaps the president of the United States, other lawmakers. You know, our children, they struggle with some of their teachers, and they'll come home and go, so-and-so, she's so stupid. Eh. No, you, you don't let that happen. You step in. You correct. You're modeling submitting to authorities in your own life, and then you're helping them submit to authorities in their life. You don't have to like her, but you have to respect her. 
and you have to submit to her authority in your life as your teacher. So moving on to the next question, what should I do if my child is questioning his or her faith? I don't know about you, but as a follower of Christ who who came from an unchurched background, the thought of my children being the prodigal, knowing how painful it was for me in those first 26 years before Jesus stepped in and saved me, I don't want my children to experience that pain. I don't want them to struggle with their faith. I don't I want them to know Jesus loves me, and off I go, and life's going to be great. But we all know that sometimes it just doesn't work that way. So our first piece of advice to you, because if it hasn't happened, it is going to happen at some point in your child's journey, whether it's while they're at home with you or perhaps in college or on, is they may come to a point where they question their faith. And all we want to say is don't panic. Don't panic. This is a natural, necessary part of your child's journey and their relationship with the Lord. Don't panic. You want your child to own their faith, and ownership comes a lot of times through questions, through challenges. Just as our children are learning academic subjects, the same thing applies in their faith. They need to ask questions sometimes. They need to have challenges. And we actually had this experience with our 13-year-old this summer after she came back from middle school church camp where you're thinking, oh, she's going to go off, and she's going to come back, and she's going to be on fire for the Lord, she's with all these other believers, etc. Well, there were some other girls in her small group time who were really struggling with their faith. And, you know, a lot of families let their kids watch the news, for example. We, we don't. That's a boundary our family has drawn. No judgment if you do. Um, but we just feel, figure life's hard enough. You don't need to see the ugliness that's going out in the world. We'll kind of help you navigate that as needed. When some girls, you know, talking about just the terror under which we live in our world today, they're like, why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? I mean, that's a valid question, right? I think even as adults, when we see some of the things happen, we ask that question. You know, in in part of our personal testimony, is my best friend was murdered by her husband in a domestic violence dispute two and a half years ago while her four minor children were sleeping in the house. And so we have been on a very long, very painful, very difficult and dark journey personally, but also with our children. She was like a second mother to them. Um, she had two, her middle two kids were our kids' best friends. She, they, our kids spent countless nights in that house. Our son would crawl in bed with Michelle for comfort when she had our kids for the weekend when we were away. Um, so we've had to really walk with them through some of these dark questions. And so I think Natalie, for the first time, because she was so young when that happened, but when other girls were asking this question, she goes, well, I want to know. How can a good God let bad things happen to good people? So I don't have the answer to that question for you, um, but what's important is not to panic. And so we had this conversation at dinner, and it was a great opportunity for the four of us just to sit around the table and talk about, you know, God is God and God is good. Um, Sometimes he allows things to happen that we don't like, that we don't understand. Um, But we have to trust in the sovereignty of God and in the goodness of God, come what may, and, and find the blessings. You know, God is weaves all things together for good to those who love him and kind of use that as an opportunity. So it it will come if it hasn't, whatever your situation may be, but don't panic. All right, so the next one, it says uh, dialogue and discern. Remember that this is a dialogue and not a monologue. Encourage dialogue about your questions and struggles. Be open and receptive, not condemning and judgmental. Be the safe place your child can be real, honest, and open and not have to pretend that they have it all together. Receive questions and try to answer them as best you can. If you don't know the answer, don't be ashamed to admit it and say, I don't know, but let's explore the scripture together and see if we can find out. 
uh, I want to let you know that one of the one of the best places, one of the tools for you to use, uh, is a website called GotQuestions.org. And if you aren't familiar with that, you need to be. Uh, every difficult question you can imagine is addressed on this website. And rarely, I, I don't know that I've ever actually disagreed with these guys. Uh, they, there are hundred, literally hundreds of questions. Uh, and, and I will routinely, when I'm asked a question, to organize my thoughts, I'll go, I'll go there myself. And everything is a one-page answer filled with scripture uh, in a well-thought-out kind of one-pager about virtually every question you can imagine. And, and they do have it. an app. If you have a smartphone, they do have a Got Questions app. Which is, I mean, you know, obviously you can use this for your kids when they ask those hard questions and you kind of know the answer, but you don't know why you know the answer or what the supporting scriptures are. It's a great tool. But also in your own life, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, you know, it's there. You don't have to go and discover it for yourself. I mean, it really just all of those basic expected questions that you get from people who are challenging your faith. It's a great resource. Uh, the next point is to disciple. Disciple, disciple, disciple. As a family, you need to commit to spending time, regular time, in the Word with your child. That sounds very daunting, but there's so, it's very easy to do. Make Bible time a part of your dinner time discussion. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, how did you see God work today? What's something that you learned about God today? Do morning devotions with them at school. A lot. And when my kids were little and they, we have a, an island and there are two stools, they sit at the breakfast counter and they're eating, I would just open up a devotional and, and read that. Very simple. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to implement in our family as our kids are coming into the teenage years, and I'm realizing I have uh, four and a half years left with my daughter, and I'm freaking out. Um, you know, there used to be days I couldn't wait for her to get older, and now I'm like, wait, stop, I'm not ready for you to go, um, is we're trying to really commit to weekly discipleship time, not just hang out, casual time. Um, you know, call it like donuts and discipleship. Take them to the donut shop for, you know, wake them up a little bit early one day a week. Are we struggling to do this? We are. Our schedules are insane, but try again. Don't give up. Don't stop. Um, you know, Paul Tripp, I don't know if many of you may have heard of him, um, is one of the national parenting experts. Just sent out, a, sent out a blog last week where he said the most overlooked parenting verse in the entire Bible is Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Because we all think, oh my gosh, we have to go be missionaries or we have to go on mission trips. No, God has given you your very first disciples. And 18 years flies by. You know when you're little and everyone says, oh, it goes so fast, and you're like, yada, yada, yada. Well, yeah, now you're there and you're going, wait a second, put the brakes on. So you have your disciples. That's where you want to be investing your energy. And just one more simple way that we've done this, and this has actually been really fun, is we've started studying the Proverbs at dinner time, starting in the very beginning, we'll do like three or four verses of Proverb number one, and we'll talk about it, we'll apply it, we'll make some notes. It might be another week before we get there because of sports schedules and practices or Jim's preaching you know, at a weeknight class or something, but just keep going back to it. Um, friends of ours did this with their kids. It took them two and a half years to get through the book of Proverbs, but they did. So don't be discouraged, you know, because I think we think, oh, forget it, we missed a couple weeks, eh, you know, it's not working, no. Keep going back. Just keep rehashing it. Don't give up. Okay, so the last one in this area, in this section, is pray. Pray, pray, pray. If your children are, if you have a child that's questioning his or her faith, uh, we pray the armor of God over our kids. And really, um, we over, underestimate the significance of prayer for our kids, over our kids, committing them, 
And uh, you know, the Bible tells us to pray and never give up. And that's what we need to do with our kids. All right. Um, the third question is, how do you lovingly guide children in a balanced way? Not too rule-driven, not too hands-off. Now here, if we say nothing to you then about this question, then kind of our overarching principle, it's this. One of the critical goals of parenting is to help your children move from external structure and control to the internalization of structure and control. When your children go away to college and you aren't there, if they have not internalized the structures that you have externally implied to them over the course of their life, they will go off the rails because they haven't internalized it. Again, character is what? Character is what someone's doing when no one's looking, right? You want your children to do the right thing whether you are around or not. And you want them doing that long before they leave your house, okay? And so that's where we've kind of developed a few talking points here to how to instill the uh, internalize these principles uh, rather than just externally applying them, relying on you. And the first way that we do that is expectations and consistency. I don't know about you, but that's really a struggle for me. But we need to communicate clear expectations for attitudes, for behaviors. And when the expectations are not met, we need to lovingly enforce reasonable age-appropriate consequences on a consistent basis. Matthew 5.37 tells us, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And I can't tell you the number of times where I communicate an expectation, it doesn't get done, I get frustrated, things don't go well, blah, blah, blah. No. One of the best resources I can recommend to you if you have not read it already is a book called Have a New Kid by Friday. Hey, we're doing that seminar. Woo! Okay, huge fan, huge fan of this book. Um, it's by Dr. Kevin Lehman, L-E-M-A-N. Um, and this is a book I read years ago. Um, my children didn't have terrible twos. They had terrible threes, both of them. And so that's when I really started kind of digging in um, to the parenting books. So you want to, you um, one of the things Dr. Lehman really focuses on is kind of diffusing the, the frustration that we as parents experience when our kids don't do what we've asked them to do. And basically, his number one principle is don't fly off the handle. Don't get angry. Don't get frustrated. If your child doesn't do what you've asked them to do, you turn and walk away. You're like, are you kidding me? It actually works. Because then when the child comes back and says, oh, mom, are we going to go out to get ice cream tonight? Remember, like we said before school, and you're like, um, no, we're not going to get ice cream tonight. What do you mean we're not going well, to get ice cream tonight? Well, why not? Well, because you didn't do X, Y, and Z that you knew you were supposed to do when you get home from school. I mean, you can't argue with that. And you're not adding fuel to the fire. You're not adding negative energy. You're just like, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to go get ice cream. And Dr. Lehman uses this great illustration in his book, um, you know, when you get to the the teenage years and you have kids that don't want to go to church. They don't want to get up early on a Sunday and get all dressed. And so you're like, okay, that's fine. You can stay home. And then after church, you and your other children go out to a really nice lunch. And you get home at 2 o'clock. And your son, who slept till 12.30, meets you at the door and says, Hey, I'm so glad to see you guys. Where have you been? I was expecting you a while ago. What's for lunch? Lunch? Oh, I'm sorry. We already ate lunch. What? You ate lunch without me? Oh, yeah. We went to that really nice restaurant up the street, you know, Firebirds or whatever. Um, and, it, you know, you don't have to get angry. So does it work all the time? No, because we're human and we sin and we get angry and frustrated. But it is a great principle. Um, 
I'm not sure it works in a week's time by like, okay, today is Saturday and next Friday your kid's going to be changed. But it is a great tool, a great uh, habit to put in practice. All right. So I was just given the five minutes, uh, and I apologize. Okay. We are going to do... um, Just finish this. We're going to do the last... Our closing this afternoon will be the last question. Okay. So for those of that are... It's a good round. Freaked out about blanks. Don't worry about that. We'll get to this. So, so let's just let me just let's just finish up quickly the rest of uh, kind of this balanced approach. The first one is the next one is choices and control. Number two is choices and control. Always, always, always work to give your children age appropriate choices and control. Everyone wants to have a level of control, and your children should too. At a toddler phase, whether they wear the red shirt or the blue shirt, may be the choices and control that they have, but they still have some measure of control. And as they get older, you want them to have choices in control, okay? Because you're trying to internalize control. They have to be able to have control. They have to be able to have choices if they're going to learn how to manage control in their journey. All right, let's go straight to, to grace. Uh-huh. The third point is grace. Prayerfully consider opportunities to extend grace from time to time. Jim and I are both very rule-oriented people. We follow the rules, and we expect our children to follow the rules. And when you break the rules, there's consequences. It's simple, right? Uh, not always. Um, keeping in mind that we're supposed to be a reflection of Jesus to our children. We are reflecting God's character. We're his ambassadors and showing our, 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 our children by their earthly parents who their father in heaven is. One of the ways we do this is occasionally there will be opportunities to extend grace. Not always. Sometimes they need to feel the pain. They do. They need to feel the consequences. Um, They need to lose their device because they went somewhere they shouldn't or they played when they shouldn't. Um, But there are other times, and again, as a parent, this just requires a level of discernment where you need to go, is this an opportunity for me to extend grace to my child? And we have tried to do that. We, uh, Again, we're not perfect, but, you know, now there are times where, you know, Adam, he just gets overwhelmed with, he's never been able to do multi-step tasks. You know, Natalie, you could give 10 instructions and she could go do them in exact order. Adam just struggles with those multi-step processes, and so sometimes he fails. And, and this was not too long ago. I was frustrated with him because I'd given him instruction. He didn't follow, and he looked at me. He goes, Mommy, can I get grace on this one? Like, I really just forgot. Yeah, you know, buddy, you can. You can have grace, meaning there's no consequences, but I still need you to go do what, what you were supposed to do. So prayerfully consider opportunities to extend grace. And the last one is teachable moments. You need to understand as a parent that instilling a proper balance of internalization of control, of structure, the things you want them to live and own and ultimately live out when they're on their own, comes from you taking the moment and applying the biblical principle. We've talked about this uh, to some degree along the way. You know, obviously Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. Basically what that means, again, Proverbs are principles, not promises, that when you train up a child in a certain direction, they will internalize those controls. Adam comes home the other day. He's riding his bike. He got disoriented or whatever. He wasn't paying attention. And he's riding along on the sidewalk, and he runs into somebody's mailbox. And he gets off his bike. He's fine. But the mailbox is now wobbly. So he comes home, and he's telling me the story. I said, well, what do you think we should do? I don't know. Well, I think you do know. Uh, we need to go talk to the person whose mailbox it is. Yes, we do. Go over, walk over, knock on the door. They come to the door. We tell them the story. They come out. Ultimately, they said, oh, the mailbox was like that anyway, and we were going to replace it, so no, no big deal. So he kind of got, it, it was fine for, for that. But the reality is we were going to 
apply biblical principles about how we handle our lives when we make mistakes, when we have problems, and we're going to pay the price if we have to. We were going to, pay, we were going to replace their mailbox if that's what it came to because that's what we should do. And in order for them to internalize... Who wants to do that, right? When you open your door and to the car next to you and your kid sees you do that and you leave a little mark in someone's door, what are you tempted to do? You're tempted to do nothing. Walk away. They'll never know. You know, you rub and see if it, you, know, you can get the little paint off there. You know, and, and is this, this going to help them internalize what you want them to live out later? No, it's not. You have to live purposely now the way you want them to live later. When you have a 13-year-old and you go to Hershey Park or wherever and they've decided that 13 and older is an adult, you're like, how stupid is that? And you're like, say that you're 12. (laughs) No, you're not going to say that you're 12. You are going to pay the extra money even though they just turned 13 last week because you want them to live a principle of life. Don't expect them to internalize something later that you're not willing to live out now. Don't do that to them. Because then when they don't live out what you want them to, the only person that you have to blame is you for not instilling the proper value in them along the way. All right, we've gone long. We apologize. So I'm going to invite Christy back up.